Good morning. Welcome to Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church for worship today as we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation. October 31st, 1517, the monk, the priest, the doctor, professor, uh, Martin Luther posted a series of theses for debate. And that is commonly recognized as the beginning of the Lutheran Reformation. And we'll talk about that briefly in our sermon today. The entire service is laid out for you in your service folder. We'll begin with our opening hymn, number 283. God bless your worship.
We continue in your service folder. Please rise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Any truly repenting Christian has a right to full remission of penalty and guilt, even without indulgence letters. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His love. taken from me, and I am to attain grace and forgiveness, this blessing must be earned from him by someone. For God cannot be kind and gracious to sinners, and cannot remove punishment and wrath, unless sin has been paid for, and satisfaction has been accomplished. I confess that I am such a sinner, and an object of God's wrath from the moment of conception. Now no one, not even an angel in heaven, was able to do away with the eternal, irreparable damage and the eternal wrath of God, which we had earned by our sins, except the eternal person of God's Son Himself. And this He did for us, into our place, taking our sins upon Himself, and answering for them as if He were guilty of them Himself.
God means to say, I see that sin weighs heavily on you, and that you would have to break down under the heavenly burden. But I will relieve you of it. Take the sin from off your back, and out of pure grace, laid on the shoulders of this lamb. Let this picture be precious to you. It makes Christ a servant of sins, yes, a bearer of sins, the lowliest and most despised of men, who himself destroys all sin and says, I am come to serve others, not to let myself be served. God says, I forgive you your sins for nothing, without any merit of your own, not because of your sorrow or because of your work, for sin cannot be removed by us. Or to put it this way, satisfaction for sin cannot come through our efforts. It comes through the efforts of the Son of God. The scriptures testify about Jesus. He lived a perfect life in your place, died on the cross to pay for all your sins, and rose again to guarantee our salvation. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ, and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We pray. Almighty God, in your mercy, you chose to speak to us in your holy word, the Bible. You revealed your righteous law, which convicts us of our sinfulness. You proclaimed your grace in Christ Jesus, who earned us the forgiveness of sins. Lead us to always teach the truth of your word, to treasure the gospel, and to let the love of Christ compel us to live according to your will. Amen. You may be seated for the reading of God's word. As we celebrate the Reformation today, we worship under the theme of Scripture alone. In our first reading, we see one of the early Reformations in God's Church, when the Book of Law was discovered in the Temple. From 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighteenth year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. 
Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them, because they are honest in their dealings. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord, and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people, from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord, to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. This is the word of our God. Our psalm for today is Psalm 46, as found on page 84 in the front part of your red hymnal. Our Sunday school students are invited forward to sing the refrains for us.
Our second reading comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2. Paul says that this message of wisdom which the apostles spoke was given to them by God the Holy Spirit. Scripture alone. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's secret wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God prepared for those who love Him, these things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with these Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. This is the Word of our God. Our responsive verse of the day is written for you there. Alleluia! I will not die but live. Our choir is invited forward for the next song, printed on the next page. They will be singing a different third verse, and then verse 3 will be their fourth verse.
rise for the reading of our gospel. Our gospel reading from John chapter 8, Jesus says that being his disciples means holding to his teachings. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. from Luther's large catechism is printed for you there. If you are asked, what do you believe in the second article concerning Jesus Christ? Answer briefly. I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has become my Lord. What is it to become a Lord? It means that he has redeemed me from sin, from the devil, from death, and from, from all evil. Before this I had no Lord and King, but was captive under the power of the devil. 
I was condemned to death and entangled in sin and blindness. We are created by God the Father and have received from Him all kinds of good things. The devil came and led us into disobedience, sin, death, and all evil. We lay under God's wrath and with pleasure, due to eternal damnation, as we have deserved. There is no counsel, no help, no comfort for us until this only and eternal Son of God in His unfathomable goodness snatched, snatched us poor lost creatures from the jaws of hell, won us, made us free, and restored us to the Father's favor and grace. He has taken us as His own under His protection in order that He may rule us by His righteousness, wisdom, power, life, and blessedness. Therefore, the Lord, simply means the same as Redeemer. Jesus Christ has brought us back from the devil to God, from death to life, from sin to righteousness, and now keeps us safe there. The remaining parts of this article express how much it cost Christ, and at what risk and what he paid and risked, in order to win us and bring us under his dominion. The Son of God became man, was conceived and born without sin, of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, that he might become Lord over sin. He suffered, died, and was buried, that he might make satisfaction for me and pay what I owed, not with silver and gold, but with his own precious blood. Afterward, he rose again from the dead, swallowed up and devoured death, and finally ascended into heaven and assumed dominion at the right hand of the Father. Heaven and all powers, therefore, lie beneath his feet until the last day when he will completely divide and separate us from the wicked world, the death, death, and sin. Indeed, the entire gospel that we preach depends on the proper understanding of this article. Upon it, all our salvation and blessedness are based, and it is so rich and broad that we can never earn it fully. You may be seated for our next hymn, number 203.
your fellow redeemed. On this 500th anniversary of the Reformation, we consider briefly a few verses from Jeremiah. The last two verses printed for you there. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. November 10th, 1483. A young, well, not so young anymore, minor and his wife, welcomed a new little baby into the world. He was baptized the next day on St. Martin's Day named after the saint whose day it was, Martin. And that very day, and through the rest of his young life, the voices began to speak. Not that he was hearing voices, just the, the assertions and the expectations, the obligations, the voice of expectation from his parents, that here, in this sun, they would have some security in their old age. That he, whose body would be broken after years of mining, he would finally find some relief because his son could be a lawyer, could earn a living for the family and take care of mom and dad in a society that didn't really have nursing homes or social security. The voice of the unspiritual and religious crowd, the voice of culture, at least in, in that area of Germany. They were superstitious, thinking that spirits and elves and all sorts of magical creatures inhabited the forests, and that angels and demons were prevalent and acting upon every, every single element of life. And to those who, who had some tragedy happen, to those who felt guilty, the church said, well, we've got the solution. Just do more. And then, and then you'll feel free. The voice of conscience, the voice of expectation, the voice of culture, all culminating in this voice of conscience that simply would not be quiet. The voice that said, Dear Martin, you have fallen short. God is not happy with you. God is holy and God is just. And he punishes sin. All that leading up to the point when he was trapped in a thunderstorm five. Twelve years before young Martin nails his, his statements to the church bulletin board, to the town bulletin board, barely over twenty years old, he sets aside the, the wealthy career that had been set up for him, and he enters the monastery. Thinking here. Here, I can finally devote all of my time, all of my efforts, to making myself right with God. And here, here my conscience will find some peace. And here is the place that my society and my religion have been pointing me to. And there he tried. He tried. And he tried. Six years as a monk. That's longer than I've been living in Fairmont. At least for my point of reference. 
six years of starving himself, of sleeping on the floor, of staying awake through all hours of the night to say his prayers, and six years of being told that it still wasn't enough. Six years of taking God seriously in his law when he says that he cannot stand sin or sinners. Six years. Six years of trotting to confession, of confessing for hours upon hours on end. <laughs> six hours. He sat there one time, six hours confessing to his confessor. And then he walked out of the confessional and got about halfway down the aisle and turned around and went back in. How? How can a person be righteous before God? The voices in his life, the assertions and expectations seem to reach a dull roar, even a cacophony, drowning out any idea that he was on good terms and that he would be welcomed into God's grace. No matter what he did, it still wasn't enough. 1511, he entered his professorship. He was asked to be a professor at the University of Wittenberg, and this is after he's been a priest already for, for five years. He's been doing absolutely everything that the church has told him works. He offers the, the sacrifice of the Mass, where he, according to their teaching, offers in an unbloody way the body and blood of Christ for the payment of those who had gathered there or who had, had paid for that Mass. He finds slim comfort. On the verge of a nervous breakdown, he is appointed as chair of Bible at the new public university in Wittenberg. Lectures on the Psalms, lectures on Romans, lectures on Galatians, and he begins to see, well, maybe, maybe there's more to the righteousness of God than I had previously understood and previously thought. It comes to a crashing halt when a salesman comes to town saying, if you buy this, you will be forgiven. He runs into his own parishioners, stumbling drunk out of the bar, and he says, friend, why are you doing this? Through beer-stained breath, indulgence is waved in his face. I have a paper that says I'm forgiven for this. The voices, the assertions, the obligations, the expectations have reached a breaking point. And he began to see that my conscience demands, God's word demands, the expectations of my father that, that he had put off demanded, where he had entered the monastery to do good works for God, and in so doing, he had deprived his parents of, of their social security. He had disobeyed his father and mother. His confession, confessing again and again, and still not enumerating everything. How can a person approach a righteous God? And so he, he tacks up, in Latin, some, some statements for debate. In Latin, because it's an academic thing, and he just wants to talk with academics, and for some reason it goes viral. Right? And the voices don't stop there. The beginning of the Lutheran Reformation wouldn't be solidified for another 60 years. And even then, it would still be hanging by a thread until the present day. From 1517 onward, the voices simply continued, except for one. The voice of conscience had been silenced. 
but the voice of authority, both secular authority that declared him an outlaw, and religious authority that excommunicated him from the church. The voices came crashing down upon him, and nervous Martin simply clung to the word of God. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the hearts of the sea. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is within her, she will not fall. Psalm 46. The basis for his most famous hymn, The Mighty Fortress, is our God. And here we stand, here we sit, at the, at the eve of the 500th anniversary. That this man who was born nine years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue, he discovered a truth that was the voice of the Good Shepherd. And he proclaimed this truth that silenced the voice of his guilty conscience. And he brought upon himself all the other obligations and assertions and expectations and voices of society, of religion, of culture, all threatening to crush and overwhelm this little group of evangelicals. That was the first name they had. The gospel people. You people talk about forgiveness of sins, you evangelicals. He didn't really like the term Lutherans, but for better or for worse, that's the one that has stuck. So 500 years later, which voices do we listen to? We're in a different setting, a different context, but if you look back through the pages of history, at every anniversary of the Reformation, there's a new voice that sprung to the fore. The 100th anniversary, 1617, brought in the, the political and religious strife in Germany. The, the religious leader, the, the secular leader in Germany, had nearly crushed the Lutherans through his own decrees, but they stuck around. The 200th anniversary of the Reformation brought to the fore the voice of emotion. If you are really a Christian, then you will do this and act this way. Then you will demonstrate your piety, and, and really it's works and deeds that matter, not so much as creeds. Yeah, we're Lutherans, but deeds, not creeds, deal with the times. The 300th anniversary of the Reformation, the attack of reason. God's word says that. Surely, surely you cannot believe that. Surely you think, you think that God created the world in seven days. You think that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, that he is truly, actually, really present here, even though he is also seated with all dominion at the right hand of the throne of God? The attack of reason, which says, let's just... Let's just still give lip service to the Word of God. But make sure that it all makes sense. The 400th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation. World War I. The world wondering, how much longer will the world be around? How much longer will God continue to preserve His church when an entire generation has been wiped out? And here we stand, here we sit, the 500th anniversary. The temptation to the easy middle road has never been stronger, and I say that very carefully. The easy middle road that says, dear Christian, you can, you can hold on to the truth of God's word, 
and you can read God's, God's word and use God's word, but you can just make a little concession here or there. Make a concession to, to human reason, because after all, after all, you don't want to be termed the, the flat earth crowd, and you want to sit with the cool kids at lunch, right? And all the cool kids at lunch are saying, saying all these absolutely reasonable, rationalistic arguments that they think totally demolishes your faith. And surely Christianity is simply the backwards assumption of an unreasonable age. And at the same time, the voice of emotion, which says that you, Christian, well, I hear what you're saying, and that's true for you, but me, I've got this, I've got this emotion, this feeling that, at least in my life, trumps what you believe and what you say. But if you want to do your thing, well, good on you. Just let me do mine and don't bother me about it. The easy and wide road, which says we could, we could say, yeah, we'll, we'll concede this, we'll concede that, we'll concede to reason and emotion, and we'll still hold on to the Word of God. We'll even have readings and gather together for church. And it doesn't matter what the Word of God is. It doesn't matter what we believe about the Word of God. You see how dangerous that is. Kind of like the thread on your tie that you start pulling and all of a sudden your tie is all scrunched up and frayed at the seams. The Word of God, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and yet, and yet, people would tear at it and rip it apart so that here on year 500, and by next Sunday, year 504 days, God wants to preserve his word and the preaching of his word for another half a millennium. And where do we stand? That is to say, which voice do we heed? The voice of society and culture? Says Christian, you're backwards and you need to adjust your beliefs or at least keep them quiet and keep them to yourself. The voice of emotion or reason that says what is really king is what is in your heart, and that's all that matters. And reason, which says which says that you know you have to accommodate God's word to to be reasonable and rational to people who went to school. The implication being that Christians are absolute dullards for holding to the Word of God. It's the voices, the assertions, the expectations, the obligations. Where shall we stand? And which voice shall we listen to? I propose that this is not a new problem in any way. And the problem didn't start with a monk, actually a friar, tapping his statements to the, the town bulletin board. And it didn't start, even with Jeremiah, who spoke of all these shepherds who were abusing the people by withholding the word of God. It started back at the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, saying, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's what I feel like I want to do. Yeah, that's what he did, or that's what she did. I should go along with it. And at every point, God's promise, an unchangeable, eternal, holy scripture, stands firm. The days are coming, the days we are living in right now, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king, who will reign wisely and who will do what is just and right in the land. 
that when God baptized you into his family, he washed away your sin. Actually, really. That when that same word is announced, your sin is forgiven, just as if God himself were standing right there. And just the same. The king who is raising wisely has made you a member of his kingdom. Because the name on your heart and on your heart is the name of Jesus Christ, your king. You've been made a member of the branch, the tree of God, the family of God. The tree of God that in one dream from the book of Daniel grew and grew to cover the entire earth. So that right now, you and I have been incorporated into the body of Christ and made a member of the train, the victory parade of Jesus Christ himself. The same victory parade as Adam and Eve, Abraham and Noah, Martin Luther, Martin Kennedy, and the rest. So the question, today and always, which voice shall we listen to? The voice of God's word and the voice of the shepherd says that you have been forgiven. This is an objective statement of God that does not depend on what you have done or how you feel about it. That even if you don't feel forgiven today, well, God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your heart and he knows all things and he knows, he knows that his son has washed away your sin. That is the truth we hold ever so dearly and ever so nearly. That is the voice of our good shepherd which rings loudly and clearly in Scripture. And we don't need any other voices to, to guide us on the way to heaven. Because when we have this voice, we have the voice of the only one who is eternal and trustworthy. So you see, Reformation, 500 years, nailing theses on a door. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's why I'm a Lutheran, because of what Luther taught. But the Reformation isn't so much about a man nailing something to a door. The Reformation is about a man nailed to the cross. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that God that guards our understanding and keep you in faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We join in the creating me as printed in your service for you.
Please rise for prayer as printed on page 12 in your service folder. Let us pray to the Lord for the Christian church on earth and for all people everywhere. For all who gather here today and for our entire congregation, that through the gospel, the Lord would give us growth in faith and increase our love. For the spreading of the gospel throughout the world, for all pastors, missionaries, and their families, that they may boldly proclaim Christ to the nations. We ask you to hear us, O Lord. For the comfort of the gospel restored to the church on earth through your servant Martin Luther, and for other faithful pastors and lay leaders during the time of the Reformation. We magnify your name, O Lord. For protection against all enemies of your saving word. For the truth to be reclaimed in congregations that currently teach error, and for resolve to keep your word holy among us. We ask for your favor, O Lord. For the people of our country, for the Lord's blessings on our work, for those seeking employment, for good health, and for good weather. For all who are sick in body or mind, for the hungry and the homeless, for those who are in prison, for those who are dying, and those who are mourning. We ask you to help them according to your will, Lord. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. In our prayers today, Lord, we include a prayer for Paul Flinke and for Denise Malcolm currently recovering. Grant that they continue to recover and speed their recovery that their bodies may heal and that they may return to normal functioning. We also ask for your blessing upon the family of Deputy Sheriff Chad Peschke, who passed away this past week. Grant his family comfort through your word, and according to your will, joyful reunion at the resurrection of all the dead. All this we ask, O Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated for verses 1 through 4 of hymn 280.
please rise for our closing prayer. Blessed Lord, you have given us your holy scriptures for our learning. Strengthen and comfort us by your holy word that we may cling to the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let your cross be our one and only hope. Send your spirit so that our congregation may be a true bride of the Lamb. Heavenly Father, give us singleness of heart to love, honor, and serve one another, as we would love and serve you. All this we ask in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, from eternity to eternity. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. You may be seated for our closing hymn.
Good morning once again. Uh, special welcome to the guests and visitors worshiping with us today. Uh, the only items of note, if you're going up to MLC today for the uh, Reformation service up there, um, Gabe and Jax said they could reserve some seats, so we'll just need a head count and text them to let them know. Um, and for our Bible class today, it's going to be a little bit different. Got We have a guest speaker, Pastor Timothy Borman, um, which is fantastic because he's currently out in New York City. He's our past, one of our pastors at our church in downtown New York. Um, but have a good video of him today talking about the 95 Theses. And then after Bible class, which will be about 37 minutes long, um, we'll have our Thanksgiving meal downstairs, and everyone is welcome to stick around for that. Yes. Just a reminder, building committee is going to meet at the church at 6.15 tomorrow night to go to the north of the big look at their church at 6.30. Thank you very much. God bless you.